Good morning, boys and girls. Good morning, church. So the story I have for you today is about me when I was a little girl. I was about four years and a half, three to four years old. Thank you. And I have a couple pictures from when I was little. And I, when I was that age, I really liked going to church. I'd sit in my pew and color and listen to the sermon. But I did it was so little that I didn't really know what week potluck was. I thought potluck was every week. And so every Sabbath that it was, whether or not it was potluck, I would say, Mommy, Daddy, is it time for potluck this week? I want to have a good lunch, because I didn't know how to talk, so I said lunch, not lunch. <laughs> and how many of you guys like potluck? <laughs> and I liked potluck. And I didn't know what week potluck was, so my parents would say every week, No, it's not potluck this week. And so we'd go home, and I wouldn't get to go to potluck. And I thought they just had potluck here every week, and I didn't know that it wasn't potluck and there was no food here. And if my parents had let me have my way and we'd stayed here, there would have been nobody here, and we wouldn't have been able to eat any lunch. And did I really know it was good for me that time? I didn't know it was good for me because if we had stayed, there would have been no food. But on potluck Sabbath, there was, and I got to go to potluck. And that reminds me of another person. Well, he's not a person, but who knows what's best for us. And his name is Jesus. It says in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And I hope that you guys remember that God knows best even when we don't because sometimes we think that we know best. And he will always take care of us. You can go back to your seats now.
This morning's scripture reading is found in John 3, 16 and 17. If you'll turn to John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him should be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we speak of your word, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would go before me, that it would enter into my heart and the hearts of the people that are here, those that will hear this message, Lord. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would transform our hearts, change us, make us new creatures in Christ Jesus, and prepare us to deliver this message of reconciliation to the world around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, there was once a couple that had been married for 60 years. Throughout their life, they had shared everything. Maybe, perhaps, you know someone like this. They loved each other deeply. They had not kept any secrets from one another, except for a small shoebox that the wife kept in the top shelf of her closet. When they got married, she put the box there and asked her husband never to look inside of it and never to ask questions about its contents. For 60 years, the man honored his wife's request. In fact, he forgot all about the box until the day when his wife grew gravely ill and the doctors were sure she was, there was no way she was going to recover. So the man putting his wife's affairs in order, remembered that box and, uh, in the top of her closet, got it down, and took it, and, and took it to the hospital with him. He asked her if perhaps now, now they could uh, be able to open it. She agreed. They opened the box, and inside were two crocheted dolls and a roll of money that totaled $95,000. The man was astonished. The woman told her husband that the day before they were married, her grandmother told her that if she and her husband were ever to get into an argument with one another, they should work hard to reconcile. And if they weren't able to reconcile, she should simply keep her mouth closed and crochet a doll. The man was touched by um, this because there were only two dolls or two crocheted dolls in the box. He was amazed that over 60 years of marriage, they had apparently had only two conversations that they were unable to reconcile. Tears came to his eyes, and he grew even more deeply in love with this woman, even at the end of her life. Then he turned to the role of money. What's with this, he said. His wife said, well, every time I crocheted a doll, I sold it 
at a local craft store for $5. I don't know how you handle conflict and reconciliation in your relationships, but it is absolutely essential that we learn how. The greatest resource for getting back on track with relationships is the cross of Jesus Christ. If you and I were to get up from our seats and go to the cross of Calvary and consider what Jesus Christ has done for us, it would change the nature of our relationship with other people. And it would change the way that we reconcile with others. Today, I want you to see that reconciliation is not just a possibility at the cross, but it is a priority. It is absolutely essential, and it's something God has charged us to do in our lives. With that in mind, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Revelation, I mean, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I'll be reading from the New International Version. The Bible says, So from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone anyone is in Christ, the new, crea- uh, no, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is for God, or from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to see this message in the middle, see that this message is in the middle of a place where Paul defines his his missionary mission. He preaches that Christ has been crucified and raised to a new life, And because Christ has been raised to a new life, Paul looks at people through a new lens. This is where we must start today. Because the cross puts sin to death and offers new life, it changes people. Paul says in verse 17, If any person is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Paul is saying that Christ has the power to really change people. And as a result, Paul says, we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. Paul was no longer going to look through a worldly lens when he looked at people. Rather, he was going to look at people through the filter of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was no longer going to look at people based on their external circumstances, their outward sin. He was no longer going to look at people according to their offenses or even their accomplishments. Instead, 
Paul was going to look at people through the filter of their potential, the potential of Christ at work in their lives. Paul was going to imagine people could actually be brand new. Has the cross of Jesus Christ changed you? Has Christ worked radical transformation in your lives? If Jesus Christ has changed you, he can change the person sitting next to you. And Jesus Christ can change the people sitting around you. He can change the person who has hurt you the worst. He can change the person who has violated you. He can change the person who has abused you. He can change the person who has cheated you and abandoned you. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary makes the, makes the difference in the world when it comes to reconciliation. Let me paint a picture for you. Imagine that there is a girl who grows up with a daddy who loves his job more than he loves his family. He's a workaholic. He finds all his significance in what he accomplishes at the office. <clears throat> As this man grows further apart from his family, he becomes verbally abusive. He takes all the guilt that he feels and he pushes it off on other people. Eventually, this man divorces his wife, the little girl's mother. And because of all the con uh, conflict, he doesn't even pay child support. This family is torn apart. The little girl grows up. She heads off to college. She wishes that her relationship with her daddy was different, especially when she sees the relationship her friends have with their fathers. But this girl is not um, going uh, to seek a relationship with her father. She doesn't want to get hurt again. There's too much at risk. The past is too painful, and, she really, and she's ready to live with one kind of pain to avoid some unknown pain that might be there if she draws close to him. But what if she hears the news that her daddy is invited by a friend to a men's retreat? He goes to be... Um, he goes to the retreat and encounters Jesus Christ. God gets a hold of her daddy's life, and over the course of the next few months, he becomes a changed man. The filter through which he looks at the world has changed. His priorities have changed, and his heart is made tender to the things of God. He is humbled. In fact, he calls this girl's mother and acknowledges his responsibility in the future, uh, I'm sorry, in the failure of their marriage. He begins to pay the child support that he neglected and makes good on college payments. He does all he can to reconcile his relationship with them. Do you think that young lady might, might want to recon be reconciled with her daddy now? Now the impossible has become plausible, and the plausible has moved towards possibility. She sees the cross at work in her daddy's life, and because the cross changes people, she now has a greater, a greater possibility of reconciliation in the relationship with her daddy. The problem we have 
with reconciliation is that we're not sure that Jesus Christ that has so radically changed us could actually change other people. We're not quite confident that the life transformation God has brought into our life could actually be brought about in the lives of the people who have hurt us so deeply. So, let me tell you this. God can change people. Amen? Amen. I know that because he's changed me. And because I know some of your stories. I know that God has changed you, too. And if it were simply left up to us, I would be hope, it would be hopeless for me and for you because people can't change themselves. If I continue to look at people from a worldly point of view, I have no hope because I don't believe that people have the, who have offended me will actually change, that they'll be brought to repentance that they'll be humbled. I don't believe people can change by themselves. But I believe that God does what none of us can do for ourselves, and that if a person is in Christ, they can be a new creation. The old can truly be gone, and the new can truly come. I love what Paul writes in verse 21. He says this, God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, by the way, to become sin to take upon himself all the sins so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The object of this sentence is God. God is the one at work. He took all our sins and he took all the violations made against us and he put it in, onto his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son to the cross where he paid the price for the sins that were in us against God and the sins that were in us against one another. And he made it possible for our lives to be changed. We can actually begin to live out the virtues, the values, and the righteousness of God. That's what God did for us. Here's what I want you to take away from here today. People can genuinely be changed. If we believe that people could be and would be changed, it would be a whole lot easier to be reconciled to those people, wouldn't it? So we need to get those people to the cross of Jesus. That person who has offended you, who has taken advantage of you, needs to get to the cross of Jesus. If we could get those people to the foot of the cross, just like you and I have been to the foot of the cross, they could encounter the life-changing, powerful person of Jesus Christ, and we could be reconciled. But Paul says there's another way. He says that we should take the cross to them. God has entrusted uh, to us with the ministry of reconciliation. And God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So if you have come to the cross of Jesus Christ and been reconciled to God, you have been also, you also have been the message 
uh, I'm sorry, have been given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. God gave you this ministry and message of reconciliation the moment he changed you. You are a minister of the life-transforming power of Christ to the world around you. In verse 20, Paul says that God made you to be an ambassador, a representative of the person of Jesus Christ. It is through his changed, pe- through his changed people that God chooses to mediate the beauty and the benefits of the cross to other people. The way to be reconciled with people in your life is not to wait for them to go to Christ. Rather, you take Christ to them. What does that look like, you might be asking? Let me tell you a story of a pastor sitting in a restaurant working on his message for the week. A fellow walks in, and they caught each other's eyes, smiled and nodded in acknowledgement. The pastor waved. He waved. It was one of those, do I know you type of moments. Have you had those before? The guy got his drink and came over and said, hey, you're Pastor so-and-so of the church here in town. The pastor said, yes, I am. The man proceeded to tell him about a week when he had visited the pastor's church. He said, I really loved something your church did when I visited. He was touched by this, the pastor was. But as they continued to talk, the conversation grew strange because he began reflecting on his um, discontentment with something going on at his own church. The man said, I know we all have things that we are unhappy about with our, uh, with our churches, but the pastor began to feel uncomfortable as this man went on to express his unhappiness with his church, with his pastor, and with the people there. His disappointment was, uh, with his church grew into a disappointment with the church, and then into a disappointment with the pastor's church and with the pastor himself. The issue just became bigger and bigger. They eventually ended up in conflict with one another. And the pastor is thinking, how in the world did this happen? Typically, real conflict happens with people that know each other. But this guy was a complete stranger. The pastor didn't know what to do. But in his heart, he realized that if he was um, confident in Christ, this man's heart could be tender and his heart could change They could even eventually, probably, get to a point in their uh, with get on the same page with one another and perhaps become friends. He had to decide whether or not to believe that Christ could work in his life. I know he worked; he works in mine, but could he work in his? He thought. I wished that he could just see Jesus Christ for himself. And come back changed. Then he felt God say, why don't you take Christ to him? If you did that, what would taking Christ to him look like in this conversation? It would look a little bit like Proverbs 15.1, where God says, A gentle word turns away wrath, 
Isn't that Christ at work in the person's life? He started being gentle, the pastor did. He said, I'm so sorry. It sounds like you've really been wounded at, your, at, at church. That must be very um, hard for you. Then he gave him a little bit of Ephesians 4, where Paul says, Be completely patient and humble with uh, one another, bearing up with one another. Then he gave him a little bit more of Ephesians 4 as he listened to him. Speak the truth, Ephesians 4 says, to one another in love. The pastor said, that's an interesting point of view. But I wonder if you might consider this other point of view. Then he gave him a little bit of Hebrews chapter 10, where Paul says, Let's consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The pastor felt like it was important to do this uh, as a Christian brother because this man claimed to be a Christian. That he, um, then he challenged him a little bit by saying, Can I encourage you to go back and talk to your pastor about this? Can I encourage you to consider getting involved in your church? I know that's hard for you, but I really believe that that's the answer to this challenge you're facing in your life. It was interesting. By the time they were done, the nature of their conversation had been changed. In the pastor's mind, he was thinking, I want to mediate the effects of the cross. He could have pushed back against the man. He could have said, whoa, whoa, buddy. You're messing up a perfectly good morning here. Can't you see that I'm working on God's word here? Or he could allow Christ to be at work in him so the pastor could bring Christ into their conversation and give him an opportunity to be at work in this man's heart. Do you see that? That's your charge. If you have come to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and it has changed you, then you have a message. You have a message. Sometimes that message is the verbal proclamation of the gospel, telling people that Jesus Christ is Lord, and the cross changes everything. And sometimes that the message and the ministry will bring, um, we bring is through um, the way we live, by the transforming power of Christ in our lives. As we live that out with other people, God seasons their hearts and leads them to an understanding of truth. Ellen White writes something similar in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, beginning on page 147. She says this, Often as you seek the present truth, opposition will be aroused. But if you seek to meet the opposition with argument, you will only multiply it. And that you cannot afford to do. Hold the affirmative. Hold to the affirmative, she says. Angels of God watching, are watching you, and they understand how to impress those whose, who, whose opposition you refuse to meet with argument. Dwell not on the negative points of the questions that arise, but gather to your, to your minds affirmative thoughts and fasten them um, there by much study and earnest prayer and heart 
consecration. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning, and let bright rays shine forth, that men, beholding your good works, may be led to glorify your Father which is in heaven. If Christ had not held to the affirmative in the wilderness of temptation, he would, not, he would have lost that he, what he desired to gain. Christ's way is the best way to meet our opponents. We strengthen their arguments when we repeat what they say. Keep always to the affirmative, she says. It may be that the very man who is opposing you will carry your words home and be converted to the sensible truth that um, has reached his understanding. I have often said to our brethren, your opponents will make statements about you, uh, about your work, that are false. Do not repeat their statements, but hold to your assertions of the living truth, and angels of God will open the way before you. We have a great work to carry forward, and we must carry it in a sensible way. Let us never get um, excited or allow evil, um, evil feelings to arise. Christ did not do this, Christ did not do this, and he is our example in all things, is he not? For the work given us to do, we need much more of heavenly, sanctified, humble wisdom, and much less of self. We need to lay hold firmly of the, on divine power. Those who have departed from the faith will come to our congregations to divert our attention from the work that God would have us have done. You cannot afford to turn your ears from the truth to fables. Do not stop to try to convert the one who is speaking words of reproach against your work, but let it be seen that you are inspired by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And angels of God will put into your lips words that will reach the hearts of the opposers. If these men persist in pressing their way in, those who are in a sensible mind in the congregation will understand that yours is the higher standard. So speak that it will be known that Jesus Christ is speaking through you. What are the transformational virtues that God wants us to bring into meetings with other people for the purpose of reconciliation? What virtues are evidence that Christ has really changed me? What are the virtues that, go, that God uses to change my relationship with other people? Let me highlight a few. The first virtue is courage. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but he has given you a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. Spiritually, um, courageous people are courageous because Christ is at work in them. Bring willing, uh, being willing to go and do the hard things, that, that will sometimes change people. The courage of uh, godly confrontation is a powerful witness of Christ at work in you. The second virtue is gentleness. It is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
When we control our speech and when we, uh, we are kind, tender, and open, then, uh, then gentleness has an impact on other people. The third virtue is humility. Humility is tough. Trust me. Especially when you are confident that you're right. But Paul tells us in, in Philippians chapter 2 that humility is the picture of Christ. When you minister humility, when you, mis- when you minister humility, when you are careful with your words, when you take responsibility for your actions, when you acknowledge that you're wrong, that's humility. When you bear the brunt of things, then humility speaks volumes about what Christ has done in your life. The fourth virtue is patience. Patience means not demanding things go as you planned them. It's being open for God to be at work and to take um, the, uh, the conversation into places maybe you weren't anticipating. Patience is a virtue. The fifth virtue is truth. Speaking truth in love, being willing to deal with the tough stuff Openly and honestly, Jesus came not only full of grace, but speaking what was true. Number six is grace. Forgiving just as God in Christ forgave you. Being willing to forgive other people and to release them from the debt that they owe you. If you demonstrate these virtues in a conversation with somebody, uh, with somebody else, you have brought Christ to them, and you have become an ambassador for Christ, ministering the work of God's reconciliation in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you've given to us a ministry of reconciliation, Lord, because you have reconciled with us first. Lord, I pray that we take that spirit and that mission seriously, and I pray, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will give us the strength to, to carry out that ministry, Lord. Lord, it is your desire, by the demonstration, and, and it's demonstrated through the love that you have given to us through Christ, Lord, that you want to be reconciled to the world. Help us to want that same thing, Lord. Help us to want to be reconciled not only to one another, but help others to be reconciled to you as well. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 492, I Would Be Like Jesus. Please stand with me and sing hymn number 492.